Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we are going to clear out the inbox. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome to today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, brought to you in part by DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. I am your host, David Harrison, one half of the normal duo here. The Locked On Bucks podcast, James Yarko, is off for the night. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at DH82 underscore Bucks. You can find James at JYarko underscore Bucks. You can find everything that we are writing as credentialed members of the media covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over at BucksNation.com. Find that on Twitter at Bucks underscore Nation. And, of course, this show is at Locked On Bucks on Twitter. You guys have been absolutely filling the voicemail box to the brim, and we have not been able to keep up, but we are going to uh, go ahead today, and we're going to just completely erase it. Everything that is in there is going to get played. Everything is going to get answered. Everything is going to get a response. Here we go. Hello, my name is uh, Darrell Bethea. I'm from North Carolina, and uh, one thing I would like to say about these bucks is uh, our defense has to go better. We can't make Jameis go 80 yards on every drive. Uh, you throw the ball 51 times, only run the ball six times. That just allows them to keep too many defensive backs on the field, and Jameis is going to turn over the ball. I mean, there's no way around it. If you if you, if you you keep that many defensive backs back there, he has no lanes to throw the ball. And the pressure they put on us is just incredible. I mean, we can't block anyone right now. Uh, go Bucks. Maybe we'll do better next week. All right. As always, of course, thank you for the call. And I will tell you, I, I completely agree. The Buccaneers defense has to get better. But here's the problem. The Buccaneers defense is not going to get better this season. The, this Buccaneers defense, honestly, I think we've seen the top of, of how this defense could perform in 2019. Now, given a full offseason to kind of rest, let the lessons sit in, come back for another training camp. Hopefully there's at least one more veteran presence in the secondary. We'll see who comes back from the front seven. I can tell you that not all of them are coming back. I think at least two of these main pieces are going to have to go elsewhere. There's just not enough money to go around for all those guys. Um, but as far as the defense this year, like it is what it is. And, and I know that after following the, the loss of the Saints, I know that I came on this show and I said that this game to me was not on the defense. And I'll tell you why. Because I understand that they gave up a very big first drive to the New Orleans Saints. You know, that, that first drive was not a short drive. It was a very long drive. I want to say it was over six minutes long. And the Saints came away with the field goal. But at the end of the day, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, what they did is they went out there. They bent a little. They gave up some chunk plays. They did. But what they did is they kept one of the best teams in the NFL outside of the end zone. They kept them from putting up six points, from putting up seven points with an extra point, and they gave the offense a chance to come in here and essentially almost kind of like steal a possession. When you when you receive the first kickoff of the game, you, you almost have to go score a touchdown. If you don't score a touchdown, you give up the opportunity to lose the momentum. The Buccaneers offense comes on the field, and they immediately go three and out. When you go three and out, 
and as an offense after your defense just spent that much time on the field like it's not your fault as an offense that the defense spent that much time in the opening drive on the field got it however if we're talking about a team effort we're talking about complementary football as an offense you have to understand and as an offensive coordinator byron left which has to understand we cannot come off the field without getting at least one first down that's complementary football you have to give your defense by the time that defense got to the sideline got some water got some gatorade whatever it is and sat down and had the chance to start talking about the things that went well, the things that went wrong, and how to move forward, they're back on the field. You don't have time to adjust in that short of a, of a time period, enough anyway to make a substantial impact on that game. They come out on that second drive, and it's pretty much the same product. I think that second drive went a little over seven minutes, mm-hmm. and again, they're held. the Saints are held out of the end zone, and they kick a field goal. The Saints kick a field goal. So now coming into the second possession for the Buccaneers, you're only down six because your defense has spent a lot of time on the field, yes, but they've only given up two field goals. That's a positive. That At that point, that's not a negative. That's actually a positive because now you as an offense, again, you have to shoulder the load and you have to look at your defense and say, guys, we understand how much you've been on the field so far right now. We're going to give you time to, one, rest, right, recuperate some of that energy, get some fluids, Two, talk about what's going on to come up with a better game plan to combat to combat this offense that you're seeing. And how, how does the Buccaneers offense go out and do that this past Sunday against New Orleans? They throw an interception, give away an interception, however you want to word it, on the second play of the drive. So again, by the time this defense, like they probably hadn't even caught their breath yet. They're right back on the field. You can't expect a defense. I don't care what defense you have. You can't expect a defense to effectively adjust to what their opponent is doing, stay healthy, and stay energetic when the offense is doing those kinds of things. It's not the offense's fault that they were on the field for six minutes. It's not the offense's fault that they were on the field for seven minutes. It is the offense's fault that that defense had zero time after seeing what the Saints were going to open the game with to sit on the sideline and adjust and react to what they're – because. Todd Bowles, guys, isn't sitting there as the game is going on saying, aha, this is what the Saints are doing. Here's how I might adjust. No, he's calling a game. He's in the middle of trying to counteract those things in real time. He needs that time on the sideline as well to go back through the, the surface tablet, go back through the pictures, deal with his assistants, his position coaches. What do you see? What do you see? Hey, Indomitian Sue, what did you see? Hey, Jordan Whitehead, what did you see? Okay, now let's put together this new game plan or these new adjustments and put them in place and tweak our, our stuff a little bit. They had zero time to do it. By the time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense really had time to sit there and try to make any type of adjustments against the New Orleans Saints, you're already down 13-0. From that point, the from the first time the Buccaneers defense really had time to sit on that sideline and make any sort of adjustments to their game plan, they gave up 14 points. That's effective defense. That's an effective defense. It's effective defensive adjustments. Yes, they end up going down 20 to nothing. But again, while the offense doesn't give up points, guys. This is, this is, again, this is a team effort. This is two halves, or you can call it three-thirds if you want to count special teams in there that have to operate as a whole. It's not as simple as, hey, you guys are supposed to do your part. We'll do our part. We're two separate entities, and we'll like that's not how this works. You look at teams like the Patriots. You look at teams like the Ravens right now, the Kansas City Chiefs. They don't have to be perfect. But when it's time to come through for each other, someone's got to come through. And if the defense is sitting there staying on the field for six minutes because they can't get off the field – they need the offense to pick them up and say, hey, 
here's your, here's your opportunity to figure out how to get off the field. When your offense doesn't give you that time to get to get off the field, the only thing you're doing in tandem is not figuring out how to be successful in this game. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, but, but as always, of course, thank you for the call, and we're going to move straight into the next voicemail. Hey, guys, this is Dan from Orlando. Um, it's Monday morning. I had to wait before I gave you guys a call because that was just an, an embarrassing game to watch. Like, me and my girlfriend were watching it, and she doesn't care for football at all. And I was embarrassed that my team was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that game. That was just that was just horrible. We have the worst offensive line I've ever seen. That that was just abysmal. The turnstile door, I've said it multiple times, Donovan Smith needs to go. He's horrible. He doesn't help anything. Jensen, uh, I'm done with him. He, he can't snap the ball on time. And Demar Dotson, he's a, he's becoming a turnstile door, uh, and it's just horrible. And then we got um, Jameis, who is throwing four picks. Now, one of them is O.J. Howard's fault, but the other three, it's it's horrible. Like there's, I just, I mean, there's just no way that we can bring him back next year. Um, on the franchise tag, that'd be twenty five million. That's way too expensive. And a long term deal, that that's a horrible idea. Like he hasn't, just, he doesn't deserve it. Like he's just too inconsistent. Like I love the guy as a person. He works hard. He prepares. He played. He played through a sprained ankle. Like he's limping all over the fourth quarter. Like, but he just he doesn't have that it factor. Um, what are you guys' thoughts? Thanks, love the podcast, and uh, go Bucks! All right, so there there have been comments, and there have been concerns about the left tackle position for this team. Uh, really, I mean, since Donovan got selected, you know, got got drafted, and those things aren't going to go away. Uh, again, some of these guys just they they kind of are who they are. And during the off season, guys, when James and I talked about this team re-signing Donovan. It wasn't a matter of, you know, Donovan's an all-pro left tackle franchise foundation building left tackle, stuff like that. It was simply a matter of he's the best thing they have available, and and that was true then. It's still true to this day. Like, I haven't seen a left tackle emerge in the league, you know, and, and I don't keep an eye on every single left tackle in the National Football League by any means, so there, there may be one or two there here and there, but I don't know of a left tackle who's emerged in the league as being, you know, kind of one of those world beaters that the Buccaneers potentially could have gone and gotten with any type of actual real expectation. Like if there's a rookie out there somewhere who was, you know, a day three or day four pick or, or something like that, then, you know, yeah, of course. But you look at guys like, you know, you have Eric McCoy for the New Orleans Saints who was, who was considered one of the top offensive linemen coming into the NFL draft. Of course, he's being successful. And I know it's not the same position, but find me in a left tackle that has kind of come out of nowhere. And that's really all you can kind of expect of the Buccaneers is to kind of luck into one of those things. But when they when you have a team addressing the secondary the way they did during this offseason, at least in the draft, those those chances kind of go uh, out the window. As far as getting rid of him, look, man, all of his money next year is is guaranteed. Uh, Donovan Smith is is not going anywhere. He's owed on that on that new contract that he signed. He's owed fourteen and a half million dollars in twenty twenty. And if the Buccaneers release him, that's all dead money. You're 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 going to eat fourteen and a half million dollars. So that's not something that you can do. Um, I mean, I guess they could potentially try to go out and find a trade partner, but I'm not really certain. There are a whole lot of teams out there uh, looking to to take on a struggling left tackle who's got an up and down history. 
um, even at 26, 27 years old for $14.5 million off the cap. So I don't anticipate something like that happening. Ryan Jensen's owed $10 million next year. None of that is guaranteed. All of his guaranteed money is out after this season. So as far as Jensen is concerned, that is something that could potentially happen. He's someone who could potentially get uh, moved this offseason, be released, or potentially even be traded if somebody is willing to trade for him. But we'll see how that goes, man. I mean, he Ryan Jensen, for the most part, guys, I would say Ryan Jensen had a pretty solid season. However, he's had three really bad plays where he snapped the ball before he was supposed to, and all three of those situations came in very crucial moments of the game. And granted, this last one, I don't believe, you know, the chances of the Buccaneers, if if Ryan Jensen doesn't snap the ball early and Cam Brate is allowed to go through his motion and that play is allowed to run its course the way it's supposed to, perhaps the Buccaneers get a touchdown instead of an interception. Jameis throws that interception because he's got the ball, the play is busted, it's not going to develop the way that the Buccaneers designed it to, wanted it to, so he makes a decision in a moment where his team can't afford for him to take. Like, there's no taking a sack in that situation. Your team is in a situation where you have to go for a touchdown. So as a quarterback, he goes to his best receiver because he's already bobbling a snap he wasn't expecting to get. The, the pass doesn't come out the way it's supposed to, and it's an interception. Um, that's just kind of cause and effect, you know, string theory. Like one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Next thing you know, the Saints come down with the ball, and Mike Evans is on the field yelling at his center because that's where all the that's where the chain reaction began. Um, as it stands right now, like if Ryan Jensen makes no more of those mistakes and 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 cleans up his his relationship with Jameis as far as center and quarterback, um, I have no problem with the team keeping Ryan Jensen even at a ten million dollar contract i mean you would like to think maybe they talk in the offseason maybe he takes a pay cut or maybe he moves some money around give him a couple more years on that contract with a fewer guarantee with with a little bit more guaranteed money up front uh still something that they could potentially get out of if the problems can continue but we also have to remember we talked during the offseason with ryan um we talked about an article that was written by the athletic by a retired uh former center in the national football league this quarterback center relationship is very important but it's also something that takes time to build, and we all know that Jameis Winston started last season uh, suspended. He came back, did not play well, ended up getting benched. So Ryan Jensen and Jameis Winston, really, this is really kind of the first year they're going through a season together where they're the quarterback and the center. So some of that, you know what I mean? Like if Jameis Winston doesn't come back, another thing you brought up, if Jameis doesn't come back, does Ryan come back? I don't know if it's two and one. I don't know if they're one and the same. I don't know how the team views each of them individually and together. But that is something that can be considered further on down the road. As of right now, though, if you're asking me today, do I cut Ryan Jensen? Looking at this draft class, looking at the free agent class, right now, no, I don't. I don't cut Ryan Jensen. I keep him on that $10 million. Maybe talk about a pay cut. Maybe talk about moving some things, giving him a year or two more at relatively the same amount of money per year, but moving some money, moving some guarantees. Uh, players always like guaranteed money, stuff like that. Maybe add some incentives in there for cleaning up those games. And we, we'll see where we go from there. Um as far as Jameis, I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about this a lot, guys, from now to the end of the season until something actually happens, uh, until this coaching staff, until Jason Light, until the, the Buccaneers as an organization come out and, and state their intent with the future of Jameis Winston. We're going to continue talking about it. What I will tell you right now is I tend to lean on the side of Bruce Arians where he's talking about this is a quarterback who is responsible for some of these turnovers. Yes, 10 interceptions is still a good amount of interceptions. That you, it's more than you want from your franchise quarterback. But I don't hold him accountable for all 18 interceptions either. Uh, there are some fumbles in there, of course, and there are some other things. There are some other factors in there. But if you ask me if Jameis Winston is a quarterback that can be on a winning team, yes. 
So if the Buccaneers plan on moving forward with Jameis Winston being the quarterback that plays on their winning team, then for me, I think that's that's okay. Um, if the Buccaneers plan on moving forward as Jameis Winston being the reason they're winning and they're becoming a winning team and going to the playoffs and making a push for the Super Bowl, I think that that's a little short sighted. I think that that's a little bit of a miscalculation on his ceiling and his maximum abilities. I think Jameis is one of those quarterbacks that need not just the great receivers. They need the line. They need the running game, and they need at least an average defense, which when your quarterback needs that many things to fall into place, he's not one of those quote-unquote all-time greats, um, which is fine. But as long as the Buccaneers were to understand we're moving forward with him in that capacity, and honestly, then there's the money side of it. Can they get Jameis Winston to re-sign for the amount of money that is commensurate with that role that is going to allow them to bring in some versatile free agents, some some key free agents in some key positions to flesh out that roster around him? Or is he going to ask for so much money that essentially it's going to handcuff the team from being able to put together the pieces they need around him? That's all going to play into it. And then uh, there's the other part that some of us have already started bringing up and some some people have already started talking about. Does Jameis Winston even want to come back to this franchise? I still believe, yes, he does. I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to want to quit on the team that drafted him. I think if Jameis Winston leaves Tampa, it's going to be Tampa's decision uh, moving forward for that. Hello, guys. This is Earl calling from Tampa. I'm calling once again. I don't know if you got my last message. Um, I want to ask the question, what did y'all think about the – I've seen a video. It was at the game. People say they've seen the video. Uh, when um, when Donald Smith, it was a play that he got beat on, and Jameis got sacked, and Jameis had the ball in his hand, and all of a sudden, Donald Smith knocked the ball out of his hand. And I was trying to wonder, did y'all see that? I know people, I asked people that was at the game, they seen it, and I'm trying to wonder, what is that all about? Is that some, is there some inside hatred going on? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. Donald Smith is pitiful. He sucks. He don't got no reason to knock out the football in nobody's hands, okay? A $14 million, $14 million wasted on a sorry behind average tackle that can't even block my grandma, and she's dead. I'm sorry. He sucks. But I just wanted to know if y'all seen that or uh, if y'all have any thoughts on that. As usual, go Bucks. So Donovan Smith has been a – very polarizing player himself in his time uh, with the Buccaneers, obviously. Not too many people who come to his defense saying that he is a franchise left tackle. So basically it's split between the groups that uh, that like to call him out for the, the stuff that he does or the stuff that he doesn't do. And the group that you know uh, kind of just deals, deals with him being the left tackle because he, he is what he is. He is a left tackle. As far as him knocking the ball out of Jameis' hands, I don't think there's any – you know, intent of, of behind any of that. I don't think there's any ill will uh, behind any of that. I mean, I, I can't tell you for sure, you know, but I can tell you that in the conversations that I have had and that James has had, I mean, Gil has, has a good amount of conversations with, with guys inside the organization. I've never heard of anything like that. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't exist because at the same time, while we have these conversations, these people who are talking to us know what we do. They know who we are, and they do. They know why they're talking to us. So, at the same time, those things could it be a thing? It could be. I don't think it is. Uh, I think honestly, it's just it's a left tackle who gets pushed into his quarterback uh, more often than he than he definitely should, um, and a quarterback who, you know, Jameis doesn't have kind of that that forward release. You know, he's he's a quarterback that cocks the ball back behind his head. You know, brings it back there. So if you're if your left tackle is being pushed 
into the backside of you, then that's those con that contact is going to happen. And you know, if if Donovan's falling into a player or, or or something like that, it's just it's one of those things. It's not something that Donovan's ever been taught. Obviously, there's no method of being an offensive lineman where you want to get shoved right back into the lap or the back or the front side of your quarterback. That's never going to be effective. It just is something that we've seen happen from time to time over the years with Donovan more often than probably should. Again, though, guys, going back to his contract, uh, all that money's guaranteed. So unless they find a trade partner, and if they do find a trade partner, honestly, it's one of those situations uh, that we've seen sometimes here in recent history where a team has to trade a player and, say, a fifth-round draft pick to a team for a seventh-round draft pick. You're essentially giving them a better draft pick to take your guy uh, off your hands and, you know um, – I don't know. I don't know what team out there would be willing. Like you might look at like the Miami Dolphins, who are obviously in not just a rebuild mode, but a complete reconstruction mode. And maybe, you know, they don't get the, get a left tackle of their choice in the draft. So they, you know, the Buccaneers can call him and say, "Hey, take Donovan off our hands. You've got plenty of cap space to eat this this year. Uh, make him your starting left tackle. He's probably better than what you got. We'll give you a fifth, you know, uh, next year, and you give us a seventh next year or something, or a fifth this year and a seventh next year, something like that." And the Dolphins basically look at it as okay, we've got the cap space. We bring him on. It's only for one year. If uh, if we if it doesn't work out, we can move him after the season, and it's really kind of no harm, no foul, and we get a better draft pick out of it. That might be kind of a situation. But again, the question when you do that is going to be, who do you replace him with? And if you don't have a better option to replace him with, you're not going to do it. Uh, t- to be honest, guys, there's not 32 NFL starting caliber left tackles in this league right now. I don't believe there is. And that's part of the problem. So Donovan Smith may be bottom of the barrel or towards the bottom of the barrel of those 32 starters, but understand there may not be a better option out there. So that's going to be kind of the big question too. I know there's some draft prospects that some of you guys out there like, and maybe the Buccaneers fall in love with one of those guys, or maybe the Buccaneers, you know, they decide that they want to bring Jameis back. And the problem isn't Jameis. The problem is the line and it starts with the left tackle. So we're going to, you know, draft this kid. And then we'll move Donovan in one of those, you know, like it's like one of those trades that we were just talking about, um, and and go from there. I don't know, but those are kind of your only options. Um, I understand the frustration with Donovan. I will tell you, it's not just Donovan, but given his history, obviously he's going to be the focal point on the offensive line more than probably anybody else uh, because he earned it. So understand the frustration. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Donovan moving forward the rest of the year because obviously that's going to have a big part to tell uh, what happens during the offseason. All right, guys, we are cooking right along, getting through these voicemails. Again, appreciate all of you doing what you do and, and interacting with us. I know it's been a tough season, so calling in and giving us your takes and, and having your questions, and and hopefully we bring you some sort of information or some solace or at least some re- reality to kind of accept what is. Um, but before we move on to the next voicemail and the rest of them that we have, I do want to go ahead and give a shout out to one of our sponsors. That's my bookie. And we're going to talk to you past, present and future. My bookie players during Thanksgiving week, my bookie is offering a risk-free bet on the bears and lions game that the Chicago bears and the Detroit lions on Thanksgiving, simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congratulations. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose congratulations as well. My bookie is going to give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all who come to play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. 
Do you find yourself wanting to sports bet but have lots of questions? Don't sweat it. MyBookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is if you join this Thanksgiving week, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code locked on and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bank roll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. So let me repeat that. That's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by because you simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part and support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie where you play, you win, you get paid. Hey, this is Kevin from Orlando calling. I uh, wanted to call and um, sort of float an idea um, to you, too, about uh, the possibility of uh, getting Tua uh, now that he is injured for the rest of the year. And uh, I know that there's been some talk and discussion about uh, about getting him. And with this, with him being hurt now, this might now be a possibility. And we can get him possibly in the second or third round, and that would be ideal. And, uh, of course, uh, I wanted to quote this idea because I know that the Orlando Magic this year, they drafted in the first round someone who is hurt, who's not going to play at all this season, but who will then play next season. And I was wondering if something similar could happen with possibly getting Tua and then having him sit in rehab for the year while uh, they, uh, of course, re-sign uh, Winston for one more year. And then next year, maybe having them to start that year. So wanted to get your idea about this, or if this is a horrible idea because of his injury history and how it is now. I look forward to hearing your comments about this, and thanks very much for taking my call. All right, we got a love draft talk before Thanksgiving even arrives, uh, but here we are yet again. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Tua Tagovailoa, not even sure if I'm saying that 100% correctly. Uh, if I'm not, and he happens to hear this, which I don't know why he would, sorry. Um, I swear I will get better at it as your NFL career gets closer and closer. For those of you who don't know, Alabama quarterback who recently became, who recently got injured, dislocated his hip, uh, among some other things, and his career, his NFL or his college career, is over. He is he's definitely not coming back this season for the Alabama Crimson Tide, as unfortunate as that is for him. What that means is now he turns his focus to rehabbing and also preparing for the National Football League. Um, according to some some recent details, uh, it sounds like Tua is going to be able to return to throwing and doing quote-unquote athletic type things as early as this spring, which means that uh, it's not outside the realm that Tua is going to have a pro day. It's not outside the realm that Tua will be able to I, – I fully expect him to be at the NFL scouting combine this February. I doubt he will do anything – other than interview, but interviews are a big part of it. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of times, you know, scouts are always going to tell you we're going to have this conversation during draft season a lot. You trust the the film. You trust the game tape more than you trust the workout tape. So missing workouts at the combine, really not a big deal for a guy like Tua. And, again, for those of you who don't pay attention to college football until it's time to pay attention for the draft fully, uh, Tua is either the top quarterback or one of the top three quarterbacks, most likely top one or two. Uh, depending on how you how you view Joe Burrow uh, versus him coming out of the NFL draft right now. As far as if the Buccaneers are going to have a shot at Tua now that he's injured, I will say that if he if the Buccaneers get a shot at Tua, it's not going to be because of the injury right now. Like at worst case, it would be because of the recovery. And here's the thing: if his 
his stock drops due to his recovery, like due to what medical things they find at the combine, due to what shows up in the workout. Like if there's a, a, a visible, you know, difference in his stance or his ability to get into his drops and all that stuff, or, you know, the power coming from the lower legs into the upper body, into his arm and into his throws, then his stock is going to drop because the assumption is going to be that his ability dropped. So if that's the case, will it allow the Buccaneers to potentially draft him? Yes, of, of course it will. Now, any any drop related to that kind of thing, I mean, th- there are so many degrees, it's not even worth speculating right now. Um, but I will say that, I mean, two is going to have the opportunity to show everybody what he has. There, he's going to have the ability to show everybody that he's uh, healing, that he's healing properly. So, you know, if, if Tua is able to show that he's at the same physical abilities that he did while he was playing in Alabama, then I, it's not going to impact his, his stock, especially, I mean, you look at guys like Jalen Smith, uh, you look at, you look at some of the other guys out there who were playing the NFL who had some serious injuries uh, towards the end of their college careers. It's really not a new thing today in today's NFL world to see a young guy coming off of an injury, a serious injury coming in and even in his rookie year, sometimes making an impact or as short as, you know, second or third year uh, post draft making an impact. So I don't think it's going to have as big of an impact. You know, if, you know, if this injury would have happened, I'm not saying obviously that I wish it would have happened, but if it would have happened in, say, January, then potentially teams are going to want to pull the trigger on it because they're not going to be able to see him work out. They're going to be worried about the long-term ramifications and so on and so forth. Um, so hopefully that answers that part of the question. Uh, but still still plenty to see on Tua, you know, as, as things go, of course. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on, uh, especially if the Buccaneers do choose to move on from Jameis Winston. But I got to tell you guys, honestly, if if – the Buccaneers move on from Jameis Winston, uh, assuming that Bruce Arians doesn't re-retire, then I don't see them going with a rookie. I see them going with a veteran. Maybe they they trade for like a young guy, you know, uh, like a Josh Rosen, which I still don't see happening, but, you know, to, to kind of mold there in the shadows or whatever. But honestly, if this team moves forward without Jameis, I really do truly believe it's going to be with another veteran quarterback. Hey, guys, it's Jeff Aaron, 26. I'm mentally broken now. This team just has mentally broken me. That Saints game was not even close. It wasn't a contest. The The team literally got the hell beat out of them. And uh, I'm done with White. I'm seriously done with White. He's had five years, six seasons with this team, and we're about to be a top ten pick once again. That Like, literally... Other than trades, I think this team has had a top 10 pick every year he's been the general manager. 30 and 60 is his record as the Bucks GM. That's worse than Mark freaking Dominic. He's got, what, one, maybe two, or possibly three first round picks at six. Uh, Mike Evans, he's the top, uh, wide receiver and all. Vita Vea, he looks like an elite tackle, even though he didn't have his best game on Sunday, and Devin White looks like a very good uh, linebacker in the making, but VH3, 2016, uh, OJ Howard, he's obviously not a match for this offense, and it's just the rest of, in his second round draft picks have just been a complete waste and bust, and I'm just, I'm tired of him constantly reaching on small school athletes in order to make this team great. Uh, it's, I've just, I've, I've had it with this. The, it needs, this team needs to pull the trigger and just officially reset because 
we're, we're keeping on doing everything the same way as we constantly do it, and nothing gets better. In my this is just me, and uh, I think uh, it would help, but I have no proof or evidence of it. I would seriously go lure out Ozzy Newsome, or Newman, I think is the last name. Is, uh, that's kind of bad of me. I don't remember his last name, but uh, Ozzy from uh, the Ravens when he uh, he retired from the Ravens, obviously, and right now he's uh, currently living in retirement. I would bring him back, or I would do everything it takes to lure him out of retirement. And he, the 22 years he had in Baltimore is possibly some of the best like uh, executive work we've ever like the NFL has ever seen. Like nineteen ninety six to two thousand and eighteen when he was a GM there and I think that team was a consistent playoff team probably eighty to ninety percent of the time that he was a GM. He has drafted Hall of Fame defensive players and I think uh and some offensive players too. And uh, the defense has always been was always elite or damn near good every time uh, he was the GM. And the running back, he, they constantly had a running back or running game and all that stuff. And the trenches were always the strength of the team. I I seriously believe that I think this team should just dish out the money for Ozzie Newsome and bring him to Tampa because it's we're, we're, at, we're at rock bottom with this and something has to change. All right, Chef. Uh, always happy to hear from you. Wish it was obviously under better circumstances, but uh, it is what it is. And, and, man, I understand you being exhausted and, and kind of being at your wit's end with this team. I think everybody kind of is. You know, it's really been, if you think about it, three years of of pretty impressive hype. Uh, I think last year's hype wasn't nearly as big as it was the year before, obviously. But And then this year, you know, the hype kind of got going because of the excitement of the new coaching staff and everything. And then when the coaching staff came out and started saying things like the secondary is fixed and so on and so forth, uh, you know, the, the hype really kind of took off, at least internal to the Buccaneers world. I don't think the NFL world ever got on board. But I think internally the Buccaneers fan base kind of allowed themselves to get really excited for the season. And I encourage it. I mean, I'm always for hype. I think that, you know, anytime you have a reason to be excited, it's a good thing and take advantage of it. And I, and I said it last year. I said it this year. I probably said it the year before. I'll probably say it next year. That if you're feeling excitement, go with it, embrace it, enjoy it as much as you can because by the end of October, um, you may not have anything to be excited for again. And unfortunately, that's where we're at now. So if you were excited back in June, July, you know, so on and so forth, don't take it as you got duped or you got tricked. Take it as you were excited for your favorite football team, for your organization to be doing something that looked like it was moving in a positive direction. It just didn't work out. So how do we move forward from here? Firing Jason Light. I mean, listen, I, you know, I'll go, I'll go on record and say there, there are things that I didn't agree with the way that Jason Light has done his job as a general manager. You know, there are picks. Vernon Hargraves. I, I've never made it a secret that I did not believe Vernon Hargraves was worthy of a first-round draft pick. I didn't feel like he was going to be an outside cornerback in the National Football League, and you don't draft nickel corners in the first round. Uh, you just don't. So that wasn't a pick I was uh, a big fan of. I also wasn't a fan of picking Vita Vea over Derwin James, uh, as much as James hates to talk about that kind of stuff. But I will sit here and say right now that Vita Vea has definitely uh, exceeded my expectations uh, so early in his career, especially considering the injury he had early on in his rookie season that really kind of prevented him from getting some of that valuable growth time there in the beginning of the year. And I'm happy with him as a pick. Um I think, honestly, push come to shove, I probably would still prefer Derwin James, um, obviously the uninjured Derwin James, to be on this team over Vita. But, you know, that's that's the way it is, and I can't fault him for that pick. OJ is still a supremely talented tight end. There's something 
it's it's not a physical problem, guys. It's the yips. There's something going on in, in his head. And James and I kind of talked about it uh, in one of our recent episodes. I think he's just out there trying to do too much. Every time the ball comes his way, he is trying really hard to turn that into a big play or a touchdown for his team to show them that he can still be that guy. And I think he really just needs to get back to the basics, back to looking the ball into his hand, hands, tuck it away. Then you look upfield, turn upfield, hold on to the ball, you know, and those plays will happen. Um, in his rookie year, he kind of just let it come organically. And, and, you know, early on, he just kind of let it go and let it develop on its own. I think uh, coming into the season, you look at the hype that was around him. Uh, go back to, if you go back to the article I wrote for BucksNation.com asking if he was going to be able to get back on track starting uh, at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Um, that was, that was kind of one of those tipping point things. And you go, and I, and I went back in that research and I found, a preseason interview he did on NFL Network where he talked about how he is trying to become an elite tight end. And so that kind of speaks to that mentality that this is a young kid who is out there trying to become elite instead of just focusing on the work, focusing on the basics, because most of the of the elite players out there, you look at guys like Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice isn't going to tell you he became an elite wide receiver by going out there and saying, I'm going to be an elite wide receiver. Did they know he became an elite wide receiver because he went out there and he studied his opponent and he went out there and he ran his routes as crisply as possible. And he took his off season. He worked on his stamina. He worked on those little things that all developed into those big things for him. If OJ can get back to doing that, I think he'll be fine because as we see when OJ is not getting involved, you look at a guy like Cam Brake getting involved. There are opportunities in this offense for a tight end to really come in and contribute OJ's just got to get out of his own way. Um, as far as firing Jason Light, Chef, uh, man, I, I still, I still do not believe I'm ever going to get to the point where I th- I'm going to just, you know, pronounce on this show uh, that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to fire their GM. And that's not a Jason Light thing. Like, like, understand that's not just a I like Jason Light. It's, it's not even so much that I like Jason Light. It's I don't understand enough of the dynamic inside of one buck. I don't understand enough the role that Jason Light serves in tandem with that head coach and to the ownership. Like Jason Light, you know, that we, we've been told stories or heard reports or whatever you want to call them that Jason Light wanted to trade Deshaun Jackson last year before the trade deadline, but he was basically told no by Dirk Cutter. Well, is that Jason Light succumbing to the stronger personality of his head coach? If so, then yeah, he's not a good general manager. Your, your general manager, if you're going to be in charge of the roster, you got to be in charge of the roster, and sometimes that means you've got to make a decision that maybe your coaches aren't agree with, but you're going to have to sit there and say, listen, guys, I'm making this decision because it's my job to make these decisions, and I think it's better for the team. Here's why. Here's how I need you to do it. And that coach, if they're a professional, they're not going to like it, but they're going to say, okay, I'm going to do the best you can or the best we can with what you gave me, even though I disagree with you. And you know, as a head coach, if I go out there and do the best I can with what you gave me, even when I disagree with you and it doesn't work, then, you know, maybe in the next conversation I say, listen, last time you made this decision, da, 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 so on and so forth. But still, as a general manager, you can't just succumb to the will of your head coach because they're the head coach. That's why you have a job. But is that what the Glazers want from him? And then you talk about Bruce Arians. Like, this may very well be a situation. A lot of people have commented saying that Jason Light only has a job because of Bruce Arians. Well, if that's true, then who has the power in that, re- that relationship? Not Jason, because Jason's only there because of Bruce. So if we're going through here and we're all saying, why is Brashad still here? Peter Report guys are saying, why is Brashad still here? Tampa Bay Times, why is Brashad still here? Everybody wants to know, why is Brashad Perryman still on the roster instead of getting moved? And then you get a fourth-round draft pick next year, maybe a fifth-round draft pick in a compensatory. Well, is that Jason's fault or is that Bruce's fault? 
Maybe Jason wanted to cut Brashad Perriman. Maybe Jason said, hey, B.A., Brashad's not working out, man. Let's go get that comp pick back. Let's let him go elsewhere. Maybe Bruce Arians said, no, dude, that's not going to happen. We're going to make this work. Leave him be. And if Jason knows that he's only in Tampa because Bruce Arians is in Tampa, he really doesn't have a choice. So if that's the dynamic, again, and that's the problem, I don't know that dynamic. So I understand you guys being frustrated. I understand, Chef, that you're frustrated. I'm not necessarily telling you you're, I'm not telling you you're wrong by any means. What I'm telling you, though, is that I'm not going to get on that ship only because there are so many layers to the general manager position and the relationship with the head coach and the roster and how it's built for, for me to be able to say on any platform and confidently say this is what the team should do because I don't have those details. Um, again, the further you away you get from the field of play, the less access we have to you, the less we know really the dynamic of your day-to-day, the less you know I can, I can stand here and confidently make one of, uh, a pronounce an announcement like that saying, I feel like this should happen because I don't have all the information. Uh, but again, understand the frustration, man. We'll see what happens. As far as Ozzie Newsom is concerned, so if the Buccaneers do move on uh, from Jason Light, honestly, I mean, it, as cheesy and kind of corny as it sounds, man, I would love to see Derek Brooks get a shot at being a general manager in the NFL. I really think that he's the kind of guy that could really put together a winning football team. I think he knows how to balance the talent with the personality you know, and, and the hard work and find the hard workers versus the guys who are just after the the chains and the cars and, and all that stuff. Um, I would really like to see it happen. You know, I don't know if it would ever happen, but that would be something I would like. Ozzie Newsom is is a great general manager. You know, he's, he's a legend for a reason. And I completely agree that he would be uh, if you know, if you had to look at a replacement, Ozzie would be great. But what I will say is that Ozzie still has a role with the Baltimore Ravens. He's not the general manager. Um, there was a, a there was a quote from I, I'm not sure who it was I think it was the owner basically saying that Ozzy is going to be the highest paid scout in NFL history because he's still there. So even though he stepped down as a general manager, he's not gone from the Ravens organization. I don't honestly ever see Ozzy going anywhere else. Um, I think he's going to be with Baltimore uh, until he's done with football altogether, and then even then he'll still probably be around just kind of as one of those legends. But I mean, not you know if you're choosing replacements out there, not a bad guy to think of. So thanks for that, Chef. Obviously, as you know, uh, typically we don't like voicemails to run quite that long. But, you know, um, today we're going we're gonna to let it slide and we're, we're going to let that go. But in the future, uh, good buddy, try to, to keep those things at around a minute, minute 10 uh, if possible. Hey, James. Hey, David. It's Chris at DB underscore Bucks underscore for life. Yeah, I just want to uh, throw my thoughts out there. I keep hearing... I mean, we've heard it for the last four or five years. This team is talent. This team is talent. This team is talent. Where is where is the talent? Outside of a few players, you know, Levante David, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, um, and you can name a few others, but honestly, it's not that talented. And Jason Light, I just don't get his, his philosophy. Um, starting to, you know, dig deep into his drafts and he just keeps drafting these guys, you know, Sean Murphy Bunting from Central Michigan or Eastern Michigan, wherever he played, small school guy, you know, MJ Stewart, who's not even going to be on the roster next year. So he reached, you know, that's a second round pick that won't even see year three. Um, I don't know. I want to say light needs to go. I, I don't think it happens mainly because BA says, you know, that's the reason why he came, but B.A.'s also said a lot of things, so I wouldn't be so sure that Jason Light's coming back. Um, 
if BA doesn't want him to. With that being said, whatever uh, does happen, Jason Lay here or he's not here, I really do think this roster is going to be overhauled as far as, uh, you know, obviously Dotson's not going to be here, but uh, I just think you're going to see an overhaul on on a lot of key positions that should have happened years ago. Um, you know, uh, I think if the Bucks can, if they can somehow trick another team into taking Donovan Smith and go and sign a guy like Trent Williams for the next two or three years, I'm all for it. Draft the right tackle. Um, at this point, you know, like, OJ, you can't ask for opportunities, and when you get your opportunities, you can't sit there and try to catch the ball behind your back when it's thrown at the numbers on your chest. You can't do that. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks try to unload OJ Howard in the offseason and keep Cam Brate. I'm not saying that's what they should do. I just wouldn't be surprised if they do it. See if you can't get a first-round pick, a, a good second-round pick or something, and use it to uh, fix a, a position elsewhere on this team. Bucks have a lot of decisions to make in the offseason. I was hoping, um, I'm hoping at least these next six weeks that uh, we could start seeing the Bucks trending in the right direction. But at this point, I'm not going to hold my breath for it. So we'll see. Uh, I hope that's the case, that they're trending in the right direction. You know, maybe they win four out of the next six games. All right, Chris, good timing on that super long voicemail because any other week it probably honestly would not have made it, brother. Three minutes is a super long time. But because uh, we're doing this tonight, uh, we're going to go ahead. Obviously, we played it because you just heard it. So, all right. So, for years and years, we've been talking about how this team has has talent. Um, and, and, you know, yet we have 5-11, and 5-11, 3-7, uh, potentially 3-8 and eight after this weekend. And if they go three and eight after this weekend, that means they will be one in four. Or no, they're currently sorry one in three in uh, the NFC South. They've lost three divisional matchups so far, and they've got two left, both against the Falcons. So if they lose this weekend's matchup against Atlanta, the Buccaneers will move to one and four on the season in the division with one game left. Not, not, not good, right? But as far as talent's concerned, man, so Ali Marpet is is obviously a solid offensive lineman. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Jensen has got some talents. Again, I'm, I've been the first, you know, on this show to criticize him for some of the mistakes he's made. I do not think they're acceptable mistakes, but there is no denying that Ryan Jensen is a capable NFL center. Whatever those problems are, have got to get figured out, but that's why the coaches get paid. That's why he's getting paid all that money is to figure out those problems. <clears throat> and believe you me, guys, I, I think that he's just as upset about those mistakes as, as you are, as we are uh, sitting here. So, if there's a solution, you know, uh, hopefully they'll they'll find it. Uh, Alex Kappa has, you know, he's he's a first year starter for a reason. Uh, he's looked pretty solid in that role. You know, I don't know what his ceiling is right now, but he's at least looked solid. Demar Dotson, yeah, Demar's, you know, I mean, it's not even so much as much of a talent thing as it is an age thing. You know, he's he's just getting up there. He's got to go eventually. I mean, tight ends again. OJ Howard is not is not a question of physical ability, talent, athletic talent. It's a matter of concentration, consistency, and getting, you know, putting those things together. Cam Brate is talented. Jameis Winston, we've seen the best of Jameis Winston. We've seen the worst of Jameis Winston. Again, guys, it all boils down to consistency. Uh, we've seen Peyton Barber be able to do some things. Ronald Jones has got a lot of upside if they can tap into that. Dare is a good role player. Um, 
I, I was just as unhappy as probably everybody. I loved Ari, but I was just as unhappy as probably everybody else was to see him get, you know, first and second and goal snaps instead of taking the time to substitute. I get, you know, trying to maybe catch him off guard on that first play. But when it doesn't work in the first play, I don't know. To me, you make that substitution, you take that time, you get the best players on the field, put Vita Vea in there to block again, and you try to get that touchdown that way. Uh, to me, it looked like the Buccaneers rushed to failure in that situation, and that's exactly what they got to was failure. Um, that's just all the offense. I mean, we obviously know Mike Evans is talented. Chris Godwin has shown plenty of upside. Rashad Perryman is not going to be here next year. Scotty Miller is starting week to week. You kind of see him incrementally getting better and better, and that's something that I got to talk to him about while I was in Tampa. He's got a lot of excitement. He's learning a lot of things, work habits from these guys like Chris and Mike, uh, so on. I think depth at the wide receiver position is an issue, but that's something that can be fixed. Uh, moving to the defense, I mean, the front seven is solid. You know, they're not getting home every time. They're not getting home every game even necessarily, but they are a solid front seven. The secondary is obviously the weakest point, and a lot of that comes with youth. And, yes, talking transitioning to Jason Light, a lot of that has to do with Jason Light because, again, this is what I talked about uh, with Chef's voicemail. You know, to, to me, if you're the general manager, you're in charge of the, of the roster, you're in charge of that roster. And I understand coaches are going to have demands. Coaches are going to have things they want. But you are there because you were supposed to be the Ross, the roster architect. Um, you, you know, the scouts answer to you. You tell the scouts what you're looking for. You tell the scouts where their assignments are. And, well, your department, right? Like I understand, there's a director of scouting and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, as a general manager, you have to understand you own that roster. So when you allow a roster to bring in so many young cornerbacks. That's really hard to swallow, man. And then you look at, you know, we know that the team kind of talked to a guy like Morris Claiborne, but the report was the numbers were too high. But then you see him sign with the Chiefs for a, a fairly friendly team deal for a veteran cornerback like that. And not, I'm not saying that, you know, Morris Claiborne's on this team, that this, you know, this team is, you know, seven and three instead of three and seven, but a veteran presence in that secondary, you know, kind of helps some things out. If you can put Morris on the outside there with Carl, maybe you move Vernon inside. And again, I think a lot of us have agreed that Vernon has always been better on the inside. And maybe that doesn't mean you keep his fifth-year option next year, but at least it makes him a more serviceable member of this roster. Anyway, moving forward. Um, yeah, man, I mean, there there is talent on this roster. It's just not being put together. And some of that goes into the coaching. Some of that goes into uh, the players. You know, JPP said it last year. There's some dudes around here just kind of faking the funk and – and, and cash and paychecks. And that's what this this team needs to do is they need to find those guys that aren't here to make the Buccaneers great and they need to move on. Uh, I think they're starting to do that. I think they're going to identify. I agree with what you said. I think there's going to be a solid amount of turnover on this roster next year. And I think that you're going to see a lot of these guys that really aren't committed to to getting better uh, move on to, to, to jobs elsewhere. As far as Trent Williams is concerned, the tricky part about Trent Williams is – that the the Redskins really kind of own everything because they have him under contract. He's under contract for 2020 as well. Um, he's on the hook for 14 and a half million, uh, two million in dead cap space. If they trade him, uh, then if I understand correctly, they don't have to worry about any of that dead money. But the problem is getting the right part. Like this is the Washington Redskins. They're not trading Trent Williams for peanuts. Even though Trent Williams doesn't want to play, Trent Williams has already come out and said he's not going to ever be a Redskin again. He's never playing for that franchise again. It's done. It's over. Forget about it. But the problem is Dan Snyder's got his contract in his hands. And as as kind of disgusting as this is to me, honestly, he's got his age in his hands. Trent Williams is 32 next year. Um, for, for any player that's getting up there, for an offensive lineman that's really getting up there, 
And if he essentially puts Trent Williams in a position where he's got to hold out or refuse to report or whatever, I don't put it past Dan Snyder at all to allow Trent Williams to spend his 2020 season sitting on the sideline, which makes him a 33-year-old unrestricted free agent who hasn't played NFL football in two years. Not a good situation for Trent Williams. Trent really does not have a lot of leverage, and a team trying to trade for him is going to have to pay and overpay for him. Uh, I get I get what you're saying about the draft stuff, man. Like Honestly, I'm almost kind of to the point where I say, you know what? Throw a second-round draft pick at the Redskins for him because what are you going to do with your second-round draft pick anyway? But again, those are all things that will work out themselves in the future as far as Jason Light is concerned. Uh, you know, part of the reason B.A. came here was for Jason Light. I don't know how he would feel if the Glazers wanted to move him. I don't know how the Glazers feel about how B.A. feels about it. So, again, with speaking about people's jobs, you know, deeper and deeper in the franchise, those are all dynamics and relationships that I am not smart enough on to truly comment on. Uh, but, again, I would be uh, highly surprised. Outside of, you know, something like, like if B.A. decides, hey, you know, I did it for a year. It turned out to be a little bit more stressful than I expected it to be. Obviously, the Buccaneers team wasn't as, you know uh, – uh, move in ready as I thought they were and I gave it my best shot but you know health is starting to wane again so I owe the rest of this time to Christine I'm going to do that thank you for your time thank you for your love uh, good luck with the future I'm retiring again if that happens then we may very well see the Glazers blow this whole thing up but if BA comes back next year then you know then, then I think we're, we're probably still going to have Jason Light here and, and honestly it's not really so much going to be Jason pulling trigger on some of those moves it's going to be Bruce Arians telling him to pull the trigger on some of those moves so uh, that's just kind of how I see that relationship uh, panning out right now again I could be wrong so I don't know but that's just kind of where I stand on that stuff right now so we're going to move into our very last voicemail of the episode again folks thanks for calling in thanks for staying with us and here we go Hey guys, Joe from Ocala. Uh, let me let me first off, first off by saying uh, my condolences for losing your friend. Uh, I can feel your pain with that. I lost someone close to me not too long ago, but you know, my, I'll be thinking about you guys. Jameis has been sacked 36 times this season. I got into an argument with somebody about the, you know the guys that say, "Oh, it's interceptions." Yeah, not all of them are on him. Well, they say they are. Well. Then they come back and say, well, he holds the ball too much. Okay. If Ryan Fitzpatrick has been sacked 24 times, okay, this, this season, even if you took away 20 of those sacks, which I, I doubt that 20 of them are on Jameis, you still are looking at from, from, um, the least amount of sacks. Dak Prescott has 12. Patrick Mahomes has 11, which, you know, Mahomes is always going to get out of the pocket. 12 sacks, Dak Prescott. Casey Keenum, 12. Mason Rudolph, 13. I mean, Derek Carr, 15. Even if you took away 30 of those, you're still close to the lowest guys. I mean, you have got to start looking at this offensive line who is expensive, and this guy's getting sacked this many times. I mean, he has got to be scared for his life back there. He's got to be hearing footsteps in his sleep. I mean, that is an unbelievable number to me. See what you guys think about it. Go Bucks. 
Hey, Joe, uh, definitely thanks for the call, man. Uh, we appreciate your condolences as well. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the loss that you recently suffered as well. Uh, James and I sent our condolences out to you on, on an episode that, that happened uh, right around that time. And, and we, of course, we still send out our condolences to you. We know that's not something that fades, you know, that quickly. And, uh, you know, we, we, we appreciate that, of course. And, and same goes out to you. Um, as, as far as Jameis Winston being sacked, yeah, man, I mean, you know, you bring up a valuable point, and it kind of goes on both sides of the coin, right? I, I want to say it was Greg Allman recently on a podcast talked about turnovers, right, and, and which ones are James's fault, which ones aren't James's fault. And even if you took away like a third of his turnovers and saying a third of his turnovers aren't actually his fault, you still have a very high amount of turnovers. And this is kind of the conversation on the other side of that where – you know, we, we talk about Jameis and Winston, how many how much he's been sacked and how many of those are his fault. Well, even if you take away, like you said, take away 10, 20 of those sacks, and he's still, you know, in that area where he's still getting sacked more times. Like this offensive line has has been bad more often than they've been good. And they've been bad for longer uh, stretches than they've been good this season. I feel like this offensive line genuinely started the season off on a pretty good note. Not a great note, all pro, you know, across the board, nothing like that. But I felt like the starting five was moving towards something and that the more time they got together, especially with the new guy like Alex Kappa uh, filling in for where Caleb Benenock was last year, the better they would get. And then going into London, the entire right side is injured, so the entire right side is replacements. And if you listen to anybody at training camp or talk to anybody who was at training camp, everybody, every single person there could tell you that the depth on the offensive line was absolutely terrible, and if any backup had to play for any amount of time, it was not going to go well. So to get backups in there, and it, granted, it was like Josh Wells wasn't even in training camp. I got it. But to get backups at your right guard and right tackle positions for an overseas game against the division route, like – Talk about a perfect storm. Like that game was just had no chance to go well for that offensive line, uh, I, I believe. And then coming out back out of the bye, like, you know, again, they've they've looked really good in some points, but then they've looked really bad in some points. And against the New Orleans Saints, I mean the Saints aren't even a team that blitz all that often. They they definitely rely on their front their front to get a lot of that pressure. They don't bring a lot of blitzers. They don't like to do they like to keep two safeties out there and provide support to the secondary. I, I, I mean, I do believe, and I tweeted out during the game, that I don't think the Buccaneers expected to get as many blitzes as they did from the Saints. I do feel like the Saints blitzed more. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like they probably blitzed more in that game than they'd had in a lot of other games. Some of that comes from the amount of the lead they had. Some of it comes from the fact that it was working. Some of that comes from, you know, they just understood that they have the ability to do that. So they took advantage of it. But, man, like that was, that was a truly disgusting outing. And... You know, the when you have a team whose problem is consistency, you got to start close to the ball. Like again, the closer you are to the ball, the more you impact the game. So that starts with the center, goes to the quarterback. Uh, both of those guys impact the game on every single snap. You know, bottom line, the quarterback more just because he's the quarterback. Got it. So you need consistency from the quarterback position, and that's where Jameis Winston has faltered, even on in some situations where he's had clean pockets, even in some situations where he's had opportunities and he's had open guys and he's had time to throw the ball, he's still had problems with consistency. Now, um, wise man once said that pressure is cumulative, cumulative. It builds up. So over time, over a game, over a quarter, over a season, over a career, pressure builds. I honestly give a little bit of praise to Jameis Winston for the fact that he can stand in the pocket as much as he does 
considering the amount of pressure he's been under his entire career, the amount of times he's been hit his entire career, and the amount of times he doesn't get some of the flags that some of these other quarterbacks get. Like Jameis Winston, when I see officials officiate Jameis, they basically officiate Jameis the way that I think they should officiate all quarterbacks. Like if a defensive tackle or a defensive defensive player is coming in, swim moves your offensive lineman and his hand flicks you on the face mask, I don't believe you deserve 15 yards for that. That's how they officiate Jameis Winston. The problem is that's not how they officiate Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, so on and so forth. Like There are quarterbacks out there who have gotten smacked in the face mask or the helmet much less harder uh, than Jameis Winston has. I mean, Jameis Winston, that fumble that he had uh, in London or one of those fumbles that he had in London, guys, if you go back and watch it, Jameis literally got punched in the face by a Panthers defensive line. Like, closed fist punched in the face by a Panthers defensive lineman, no flag. You're going to tell me that that is not forceful contact to the head of the quarterback? Um, anyway, moving on from that. So, yeah, so Jameis definitely isn't on the hook for all of it. But, again, um, at the end of the day, wh- when I go back to this, I look at the messages that this coaching staff delivered in the beginning of the season, and I feel like the way this team needs to move forward is find out which parts of this team made them liars because they're liars. Like Bruce Arians came out and said, fans come out to the stadium, we're going to win some ball games. Liar. No, you're not. They came out and said secondary's fixed. Liar. No, you're not. They came out there and said, we're going to have a really good run game. Liar. No, you're not. They came out and said, we're going to have a really good offensive line. Liar. No, you're not. O.J. Howard's going to be a big part of this offense. Liar. No, you're not. Or no, he's not. But it's not in the sense that Bruce Arians came out and said, ha-ha, I'm going to go lie to the media and lie to the fans. He meant it. He absolutely meant it, and he believed it to be true. There are players on this team and maybe even some coaches on this team that are making him a liar. Who are those people? They got to go. And you got to start with the biggest liar and move down the list because you can't necessarily replace them all. Again, I've said this before, but who's your biggest liar? Your biggest liar on defense apparently was Vernon Hargraves. That's why he's gone. He's already gone. We're already getting rid of some of the liars. Now we got to move down the list. We talk about guys like Ryan Smith. Is he good enough? to just be part of the special team. Again, special teams was a big focus for this coaching staff, and they said they wanted to come in and fix the special teams. Well, the special teams isn't fixed. I would say that from what I've seen, Ryan Smith, I like him. I like what he does for the special teams. I say you keep him. But if they don't think he's enough, okay. TJ Logan. When TJ Logan came in, Bruce Arians told the media, learn that kid's name. He's going to do some big things for this team. Liar. No, he's not. Get rid of him. Does that make sense? So that's kind of where I'm at. Is Jameis Winston making Bruce Arians a liar? Well, that's kind of an eye of the holder thing because if you look at misrun routes, if you look at misunderstood play calls, if you look at sacks, if you look at cumulative pressure put on by an offensive line not capable of consistently stopping a pass rush, how much of that do you put on the quarterback? Now, at the same time, all that stuff is cumulative. You did see Jameis Winston. Like Jameis Winston was not comfortable in that pocket last weekend. He was not comfortable standing there. He was not ready to take that pressure. Like Jameis Winston looked like a quarterback that had been unseated and unsettled for good reason. Can he come back from it? You look at a guy like David Carr, as talented as David Carr was coming into the NFL, that dude got hit so much early in his career that by the time he got out of Houston, it was over. He was not going to be a quarterback that was going to be able to come in and effectively play for an NFL franchise. Um, You look at guys like Mitch Trubisky. You look at some of these other guys who are out there, and they just look like quarterbacks who uh, they can no longer trust that they they can have an offensive line that will protect them. If Jameis Winston is too far gone, then it's a situation where you've got to move on from him. 
Um, so again, a lot of those things will play out over time. We will see. Um, I have to say, looking at the tra- looking at the landscape of the future, looking at the landscape of what looks out look, looks is going to be out there. I still believe Jameis Winston is one of the better options for this team moving into next year and beyond. I have some other ideas. Some of them are kind of crazy. One of them is going to make James Jarko really mad when I bring it up. If I bring it up, uh, if we do, it'll be a fun conversation to have. So stay tuned, of course, to that. Uh, Joe, again, thanks for your call. Everybody, Chef, Chris, uh, all of, I can't remember every single one of you guys. Sorry, Dan, Daryl, all of you guys. Thank you so much for your phone calls. This has been a great hour plus. Hopefully I don't get fired from the network for doing this. But, man, you guys are taking the time to call in. So I want to give you the time uh, and respect back to answer all of these calls before we fully get into our discussion about the Atlanta Falcons coming up this weekend. Of course, if you have not checked out the crossover episode that James did with Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons, please go do so. Good conversation there. We've got two former Buccaneers head coaches coming back this weekend. Or not coming back. The Buccaneers will go and face two former Buccaneers head coaches in Raheem Morris and Dirk Cutter. Should be a good time. Hopefully it'll be a good time. Hopefully it'll be a win. We'll see. Uh, but James and I are going to get fully into our game preview on tomorrow's episode. We will make our, we will pick our key players, make some bowl predictions, make some final score predictions, and we'll do all that. Uh, please join us back for that. Until then, please be safe. Thank you so much for joining me right here at Locked On Bucks.